I didn't know you were going shopping. What'd you get? He's really asking how much money you spent. It was a sale. So you bought two of everything? I know. Now I see. Honey, what'd you get? You know, I don't have to pick the kids up from soccer practice for another hour. Well, hello, everyone. It's good to see you. We're in part three of a series that we're doing called Relationology. If you've missed part one and part two, I encourage you to pick them up on the podcast. Jeff McGuire just knocked the ball out of the park and really helped us to to see God's design for relationships. Today, we're talking specifically about marriage. Now, for those of you that are single, I realize you'd rather be... uh, you know, a Chuck E. Cheese with a bunch of five-year-olds hopped up on crack than sitting in here as we talk about marriage. But I want to encourage you to pay attention because statistics are good that you will be married someday. If you're married, I want you to pay attention because statistics are good that you won't be married someday, unfortunately, okay? We got a lot of work to do, and intelligent people understand that love is a choice, and healthy marriages make good And intentional choices. Not easy choices, but good, important, intentional. Marriage is not easy. Raise your hand if you would agree with me on that one. Marriage is not easy. You get it. Yeah. Dating, those of you who are dating, easy. (laughs) Dating is so easy in comparison to marriage. I'm telling you, it's easy. You can end it at any time. What's the big deal? You know? And when you're dating, you're so. Dating couples are sweet. They're just, everything is so. You should. Oh, I. Her laugh, it is so contagious. And the way he walked, watch him walk, watch him walk. It's so, it is so cute. Or I could just stare at her for hours and, and listen to her voice. Okay? And then you marry. And, and fascinating quickly morphs to irritating. And it's not her laugh that's contagious anymore. It's, it's her cough. And it's gross, and you don't want to be around her. And, you know, the way he walks is still cute, but it's, it's now kind of in a husky plus-size walk. And, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, instead of listening to her voice all day, you've built a man cave so you can escape her vocal range. <laughs> what used to be delightfully refreshing is now painfully familiar. The new has worn off. The ordinary appears. The oh wow has turned to oh no. What once sizzled now barely fizzles. What happened? What happened? Well, I can tell you what happened in dating. I do a lot of reading and research on on marriage and uh, scientific research says that when you're dating, there's this, this excitement level thing that happens in your brain and your brain produces a drug called dopamine. And it's, you know, quite confusing for you lay people. Uh, so basically it means this, that when you were dating, you were essentially on drugs. Okay? So, you know, way to go, druggie. Well, speaking of drugs, I just need to confess right at the beginning, 
I am heavily medicated right now. I have it in my pockets. I've got congestion. I've got, I'm achy. I'm drinking to make sure my, my voice, I'm being, doing Dayquil and NyQuil, which, you know, is essentially Jack Daniels and food coloring. Uh, and so if I say anything inappropriate right now, I just want to, it's a mulligan, okay? It's a gimme. It's a freebie. It's, it's I just did not want to miss uh, being, being here. In a crowd this size as we talk about marriage, here's what I know to be true. Some of you have great marriages. You have great marriages. I have some friends in the front row. Great marriage. Some of you have average marriages. You're struggling. And some of you have actually, worse than that, you're in the kind of what I would call a roommate situation. You're technically married, but there's not much there. And I'm a big believer that marriages can change because I've seen it. I've observed it many, many times in, in marriages that I've interacted with and workshops that I've been a part of. I'm also a big believer in Jesus. And what happens when Jesus invades someone's life and all of a sudden they begin to align their life and their marriage by the teachings of Jesus and amazing, amazing things happen. That marriages, regardless of what condition you're in, can thrive, not survive. With marriage, survival is not the goal, friends. Yeah, I've done hundreds and hundreds, performed hundreds of marriages, and nobody has pulled me aside before doing a wedding ceremony and said, hey, Doug, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm hoping to gut this one out for about four years so I can walk away with the leather couches. You know, they don't do that. You know, survival is not the goal. Thriving is the goal. And I think the way to establish a foundation where a marriage thrives is to go to the foundation where marriage is. And that's in God's word. We've already learned in part one and part two of this series that we are hardwired for relationships. That in our DNA, God has put something in us that says we come alive when we're around others. We are better together. If you have your Bibles in Genesis chapter two, for some of us, it's our favorite book in the Bible because it's the one we've read most uh, because we can't get through Leviticus, but we're in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can read on the screen or in your notes. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, let's take a little bit deeper look into this foundational text on on marriage. In verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. Why was it not good? He was in perfection. Everything was perfect. No smog, no pain. It's missing ESPN and chicken wings, but other than that, it was it was perfect. Well, the Bible says that he didn't it wasn't good because he was alone. God 
created him not to be alone. So God creates Eve. In verse 23, it's a little odd. I think it's kind of a weak response from a man. It says, uh, when he sees Eve, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I'm, I'm, you know, imagine waking up to a naked woman. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You know, I, I know something seems to be lost in the Hebrew translation there. You know, I doubt that he, oh, somebody to help me name the animals. I hope she can dance. No, I mean, guys, come on, gentlemen. You wake up and there's a naked woman there. What are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a little offensive. But uh, no, yeah, you're, you're going crazy. Okay? Now, I, realize, I mean, I know guys in here because guys are wired more visually. Guys can visualize that. That's one of the problems with, with guys. And, and guys actually think Eve looks like, like this. Okay? <laughs> You think that's Eve, you know, minus the belly button. But according to archaeology and bone structure of the time, Eve probably looked more like, like this. Yeah, no. So Adam wakes up. There's, there's woman naked right there, which is where I think the first time we heard praise God came from. And uh, God says, I will make, in verse 18, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, some of you in here want to turn this into a sexist issue because God's design has woman coming from man. But that sexist view could not be more wrong. The word helper is an important word to understand in the Bible because it really communicates clearly the intended definition between a man and a, a female, a husband and a wife. See, in our culture, a helper is not a big deal. We actually hire and fire helpers pretty quickly. We, we have helpers do menial tasks. They're expendable. They're, re, they're replaceable. They do, they do errands for us. But in, this, in the, the original language of this, this text, the word helper has more of a, oddly enough, more of a fighter meaning. It means, the word helper means to surround and protect and aid. Helper does not have a female meaning to it. It has a military one. So you think reinforcement. So God creates reinforcement. This understanding is, is huge to the foundation of marriage. Helper is a big word. In the Old Testament, God is often referred to as the helper. You move to the New Testament, who is described as the helper? Holy Spirit, okay? Holy Spirit. The word helper is not a, a, not a term of weakness. It is a term of significance. So the picture here is God blesses Adam with something much more than companionship. We're not just talking about companionship. He had animals for companionship. He, he, gets, he gets a helper, okay, to surround and protect and aid, reinforcement to do life Together, That's a helper with, with benefits. Uh, and one of the original intentions of marriage is this, that as husband and wife, you help one another. I help my wife win, she helps me win. We surround, protect, and aid one another. We're one another's reinforcement. That is God's design for marriage. And oh, how we have messed that up. 
So the question is, are you helping your spouse win? Ladies, are you helping your husband win in the battles of life? Men, are you helping your wives win in her wars? Because your spouse, it's not just another friend. We're not talking about another friend here. Take a look at this verse in verse 24. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, at first glance, you don't notice it here, but this is a very graphic display of sexual intercourse. Two becoming one, God has joined them together. Now, by the way, a little aside for some of you that are just kind of checking out this whole church, God, Jesus thing, and you think that you don't talk about sex in the church. Oh, yes, you do. Yeah, yeah, the Bible has a lot to say about sex, sexuality, and all things, you know, created sexy. I gave you a verse here. I just didn't put it in your notes because I didn't want the men to be distracted. But look what the Bible says in Proverbs 5.19. Take a look at this verse. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Hello. I didn't learn that growing up in Sunday school, did you? No, my parents kept me from all the best verses in the Bible. Now I have a journal full of all of these verses. It's, it's how I first developed the discipline of memorizing scripture. Okay? The Bible has a lot to say about sex, friends. There's a whole book on sexual imagery and what Solomon does with his lover, Shulamite. <laughs> Not a very sexy name, but a wild personality, all right? I, I've read what she does, and come on, okay? Sex is God's design. Sex is good. Sex created it. Sex created it. God created sex. It was his, his invention. I think it's proof that there is a God. Yeah, it's his intelligent design. Anyway, I don't even know where I was now on my nose. <laughs> Two becoming one. That's where I was. Two becoming one. That's God's design. That's God's design for oneness. Now, you can believe whatever you want about marriage, and a lot of people do, but the historical biblical view of marriage that's been for thousands of years, it's one man plus one woman making a monogamous commitment to be united as one. That's God's design. Now, you move to the New Testament. Jesus puts an exclamation mark on that. In Matthew 19, it says, Jesus replied that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. Read the rest with me. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, Jesus wants to make it very clear that when we talk about this, this two becoming one, this is not simply a physical act with no big deal and no consequences. The world that you and I live in wants you and I to think that, that sex is no big deal. It's no big deal. It's just a physical, it's, it, it's, it's a physical transaction like a handshake. You slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. No big deal. It's just, you know, two people getting together. That's not God's design. That's not what Jesus is saying. The scriptures teach that there's actually, watch this, there's a spiritual union that takes place when two become one. Not just a physical union, a spiritual union as well. And that is why this room is filled with so much pain and suffering and guilt and shame. 
because many of us in here have taken part of, of God's plan and misused it. And that's, you know, the real beauty of God's love and his forgiveness and his restoration and his hope is available to all of us. He's a redeeming God and wants to set us on the right path. But make no mistakes. God has a plan for marriage. God has a plan for sex. God has a plan for unity and oneness. It's kind of weird math, but the weird math is this. One plus one equals one. And let no one separate that one. Marriage is not about creating oneness. You don't have to create oneness. You are one. Marriage is about how do I help in that one, how do I help that person who I'm one with win? How do we do life so that nothing will separate I want to share with you just out of my own journey when my perspective on this oneness change. Here's what happens in life. When your perspective changes, your thinking changes. When your thinking changes, your behavior actions change. And as a result, my marriage began to flourish with what I call this one heart principle. And it goes like this. The one heart principle is when I wound my wife's heart as one, I wound mine. Now, that's saying it kind of negative. Let me turn it over. When I enhance my wife's heart, I enhance my heart as well. It's almost a no-brainer. It's so simple once you get this foundation that, we, that marriage is creating us to be one. When I hurt her, I'm hurting me. When I let her on her own to figure something out or don't serve her or help her, I'm I'm hurting me, but when I enhance her, I enhance our heart. So think about it. Those subtle shots that we take at our spouse or not-so-subtle shots, those aren't damage-free. Those aren't pain-free. Those actually have a double wounding to them. And for some of us in our marriage, it's become such a part of how we relate to one another that we don't even think about it anymore. So we make these comments to shame or manipulate or to to move or to motivate. We're actually wounding ourselves as well. Here's a visual image of kind of what I'm thinking about takes place when we go to shoot other people. I have a picture of this. Okay, there it is. I mean, that's kind of, in essence, what we're talking about here. So let's play with this oneness idea for for just a second. I have... um, I don't know, I'm going to need the camera's help here. I've got, I've got two balloons, okay? Those of you in the front row, can you see two? Yeah. Okay, one is what color is it? Purple. Purple? Yeah, let me, let me ask your dad, uh, who's going to have some talking to do afterwards, apparently, that you're in church. Uh, is, we, got, we got what color? Blue. We got a blue and pink. And the blue and the pink balloons are are inside of one another, and as the common eye can see, you really can't, you can't tell. It looks like, it looks like one. This looks more purplish. Uh, and, and, and here's the deal. As one, so let's just pretend this, this represents husband and wife. The only way you can really tell there's two is if I, if I pulled the, the belly buttons apart uh, right there. Now, if, if, I go to, if I go to damage my spouse with a comment 
with neglect, with withholding, with manipulation, whatever your relating patterns are in your family. And I'm just going to, I want to wound her because I just want to make my point. It scares me every time I do that. I know it's coming, okay? Partly because saliva jumps out at me too. Uh, is I wind, up, I wind up wounding myself as well. This is the one heart principle. And you know what I know? I know what my wife's heart needs. And you know why I know what my wife's heart needs? Because it's what my heart needs. You know what your spouse's heart wants and needs because you know what, in any given situation, you know what your heart wants and needs. I am very, very selfish. And just at the core of who I am, I'm very selfish. I'd much rather her serve me than me serve her. I'd rather you serve me, okay? <laughs> I, I, I am, I, at the core of who I am, I'm, I'm very selfish. Now, just let me do a little mass confession here. Um, how many of you would say, yeah, Doug, I would admit with you, I'm pretty selfish too. Put your hands up. Look around. Okay. Yeah. We're, I mean, people who aren't raising their hand are in denial. Okay. <laughs> we are selfish human beings. We think about ourselves first. You know, you would never get through a line if you, no, no, you, <laughs> no, you, no, you, you know, you know, no, me, you know, Parkinson's, whatever it is, we, we think of what our heart wants. And here's my point. If you know what your heart wants, your spouse wants that too. You put me in any marriage situation, and I can tell you what a selfish heart wants. Well, her heart wants that too. And if we're one, if I meet her heart's desire, I'm meeting our heart's desire. This isn't new. Jesus had this same relational principle. The greatest teacher to ever live, God in the flesh, says, so in everything, Matthew 7, 12, do to others what you would have them do to you. Now track with me. When I viewed Kathy as over here, when I viewed her as, as kind of a separate entity, I mean, we're married, yeah, of course we're married, but I really didn't grasp that we are one. It was so much easier to kind of wound her, to take shots at her, to shut her out of, of feelings or thoughts or whatever it might be, whatever relating patterns. It was so much easier when I didn't view her as one, which, by the way, in spiritual growth, that same thing for many of us in here spiritually. If you treat Jesus like he's only there when you show up at church or that he's this distant deity, it's easy for you to live however you want. But when you go, oh, wait, the scriptures promise that when I have a relationship with Jesus, he resides inside of me. His presence is here. The power of the Holy Spirit is there. When I walk in the spirit of God, then all of a sudden I live different, right? Because I go, oh, wait, he's here. You know, in the fall, we did that greater than series, right? That, that he, he is in us. There's nothing greater than that. So spiritually, I'm able to live my life in a different way, in a different rhythm. I can live my life aligned with Jesus when I realize, oh, he's here. Take that same principle into marriage. Theologically, we're one. He's created us to be one. So when all of a sudden I start to treat Kathy as one, it's a game changer. 
Okay? It's a game changer. Now, the question then becomes, and I put it in your notes, a new question. It's not just, am I helping my spouse win? It is, as one, am I helping my spouse win? Now, here's what some of you are thinking. I know it. Well, she's not helping me win. Okay, she's not, she's not helping me win. Okay, listen, Spanky. One of the reasons that marriages have so much problem is because of blame. I mean, I talk to guys all the time. Well, she doesn't, and she won't, and she can't, and, 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 and she's not. It's time for the little boy to sit down and for the man to stand up and for men to start being men in relationships and not defend their whole marriage, the health of their marriage, blaming their wife. Guys, start being the man that your wife married. The little boy game and personas and the things that you do, it's not working. You know, you look at over the last decade of marriage, you know, people used to marry in their early 20s. Now they marry in their late 20s. One of the reasons that women will tell you is because there's no shortage of males. There's just a shortage of men. The, the little boys don't, don't grow up. Okay? I missed it. I'm sure it was great. I'm sure it was great, but... So, gentlemen, are you helping your wife, the one you're one with, are you helping her win? Because what I know about some of you, some of you are helping your employees win at work more than you're helping your, your wife win in your relationship. Some of you are spending more time developing community on your, your softball team than you are developing intimacy and community with, with your wife. Uh, Let me talk to the guys for a little bit. And you might wonder, why am I going after guys? (laughs) Really? Because they're guys. Okay? They need need more help. Ladies, you do relationships better than than we do. Now, don't get too cocky. Remember what Eve did? Okay? Yeah, she's in your lineage here. Okay? But for guys, when you talk to guys, they'll talk about their life domains. A lot of their life domains are are going well except marriage. You know, my business is doing good. My health is adequate. I came in second place in my fantasy football team this year. Uh, you know, the, the kids have not died on my watch. But truth be told, my marriage isn't, isn't that good. So guys, let me challenge you to do something. Start this week. Start chasing your wife. Start chasing your wife. I don't mean physically chasing her. Some of you are fine at that. You walk in the door, you're like, oh. you know, you're, you're fine. I, chase her in ways that you know will, will make her come alive. Guys, are, we love to chase things. We have since we were little boys. We love the chase. And as you get older, the chase isn't around the neighborhood block. It's in the marketplace. And we chase promotion. And we chase the next deal. And we chase possessions and power and money and career. Because as long as there's something to chase, there is motivation there. And here's my observation. My observation is those other chases in life are wounding your marriage. I've just got, I've just got to sign another deal. I've got to get another gig. I've got to pull together another contract. I've got to get these players together. I've got to network over there. I've got to say yes to more. But your wife doesn't want the presence that your money is buying. 
She'd much rather have your presence that your life brings. Some of you guys are having an affair. Not with another woman. You're having an affair with your, your job, with your work. That, that you are always on for everybody else. And your work is your affection. Your laptop is your lover. Your mobile phone is your mistress. Your smartphone is making you stupid in marriage. You know that 90% of all texts are returned within 30 seconds? You know what that means? You're always on. You're always available, whether it's at the dinner table or at the bedroom. What this is communicating to your wife is, this is just as important as you are. And those of you, the, guy, the guys that wear the, the phones in your ear, you're a dork. Okay? It really, what it tells me is you don't have any real friends that have been honest with you. Now, some of you, I can, oh, sorry. You know, get mad at me for telling you the truth all you want. It just, you know, you should have removed that years ago, okay? I don't think wearing them in public was ever cool. You know, it's like wearing a belt with sweatpants, you know? modern-day equivalent of a fanny pack. (laughs) You're chasing the wrong stuff. And when your wife carefully talks to you about your priorities, she thinks about it and she prays about it and how do I bring this up and she carefully challenges your priority. Here's what guys do. Their pride appears, they get defensive, and then they blame well, I'm just doing all this to support the lifestyle that you want to live. Oh, really? Could it be that it's more about your chase than her choice? I talked to a buddy's wife who told me, I said, Doug, you know, I used to think it was all about, he did it all for the family. And now I know he does it all for his ego. Gentlemen, if you're going to begin this challenge of what I'm presenting, to begin thinking of your, your wife as one, to, to chase her, it's going to require you to deal with your pride. It just is. You can't think of her as one and chase her without you dealing with the ugly reality of pride. Pride is, is a guy's worst enemy. I mean, pride looks bad on everybody, but guys have the ability to make pride look really ugly. Pride says, I'm not going to change. I don't need to change. It's just the way that I am. Deal with it. Pride says, it's not my fault. It's her fault. Blame is just a a form of pride. Pride has destroyed more men. Says, you know, I'm not going to be shown up. I'm not wrong on this. I'm not going to apologize. I know guys that have lost their spouse in order to win an argument. Look what the Bible says about pride. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. Gentlemen, pride is a strong display of weakness. Here's what a prideful man is. Lonely, scared, and insecure. And they'll never admit that because they're prideful. 
But all of a sudden you see a guy and pride begins to disappear. Pride is minimized. Pride is dealt with. Somebody very powerful, attractive, sexy to his wife appears. And it's a man draped in humility. What does the scripture said? Humility brings wisdom and it brings honor. Humility is not a position of weakness. It's a position of strength. As a matter of fact, humility is very heavy to lift and few men can lift it. Humility flows from a secure relationship with Jesus. As a dude, if you are secure in who you are as a follower of Jesus and you know he is God and you're not, that's where humility comes from. I made a little list in my notes of some examples of what humility looks like in your marriage. Humility enables you to keep your mouth shut so your wife can experience a win and isn't wounded by your words. Humility is okay with using words that build her up without any need for words to return in your direction. Humility is secure with listening rather than always talking. Humility is okay choosing discomfort so your wife can experience comfort. Humility reconciles instead of retaliates. Humility is quick to say, I'm sorry. Humble men make other people feel good about themselves. Friends, kids, coworkers, they're drawn toward humble guys. Humble guys are authentic lovers. They, they know what people they know what people need. They make people feel unburdened and light. And guys, if you're a dad, let me just give you a little heads up. What does a humble dad look like? A humble dad makes his kids feel safe. A humble dad doesn't threaten, doesn't, doesn't intimidate, doesn't demand, doesn't yell. If you use shame and guilt and yelling at your kids, you're just a bully. That's not humility. That's just being a bully in a dad costume. That, dad, take note. If you're prideful, you will create insecure children. Where humble men create secure children. That same principle is true with your wife. That prideful men, they nurture insecure and defensive wives who really become apathetic in marriage, and then they disengage. But a humble spouse will have what the Bible says, wisdom and honor. He'll have the wisdom to bring out the best in her, and he will be honored. He'll be honored in his marriage. He'll be honored in, his, in being a dad. So, guys, do you want wisdom and honor in your life, in your marriage? Of course you do. So drop the pride. Pick up humility. And start chasing the woman that you are one with. And quit following the stereotypical male. The stereotypical male is not God's man. You want to follow somebody, follow Jesus. Who personified humility. Who revolutionized the world. Not only with his teaching, with how he lived. Everybody was attracted to him. Follow Jesus and begin to see what happens when you put your life in Jesus' hands, how he begins to transform you from the inside out. He takes that pride and minimizes it, and all of a sudden, humility begins to appear. He's the one that is best at transforming 
lives. And ladies, you don't have the weekend off. Okay? This is not for you to walk out of here and go, oh, you needed that one. Man, I'm glad you were here. Okay? This is when, they, when he messes up this week. This is not for you to say, were you not listening to Doug? Okay? Don't do that. Okay? You hold the mirror up and look a little deeper than the mascara into your own relating patterns. And begin to think about what you use. Shame, guilting, blame, manipulation, withholding. Those things are not making your husband win. Now, you can use those, blame, shame, withholding, manipulation. And you might get the garage clean, because that's what you really want, but you're not helping him win. So you win the little battle, but you, you lose the war. Your job is to help him win. I asked my friend Jeff, who spoke the last couple of weeks, I said, be here just in case. But I said, I really hope I make it through this weekend because I so badly want to talk about marriage. And I was gracious that he was there in the, in the uh, in the bullpen, just in case you need to bring in the, the lefty. Because uh, here's my, my dream. My dream is that our marriages would be different. It, your marriage is not just a companionship. In God's economy, you're one. And there's so much more for your marriage. He's calling us to live in such a different way. That it doesn't have to be average, it doesn't have to be bad, it doesn't have to be survival, it doesn't have to be roommate situation. It can be great. That's his design. It's not easy, like I said at the beginning. It requires some intentional work, intentional decisions. And I want to challenge you to something courageous. For some of you guys, you're living life on your own. You need to be connected with other men. There's a men's group that meets here on Thursday mornings at 645. Why don't you show up? You're going to have to drop your pride to walk through the door. Because when you do, you say, I need to be around some other dudes. Iron sharpens iron. I want to be a better man. Well, get around better men. There's a lot of them that meet here on, on Thursday mornings. For some of you, during our time of worship following this, maybe you need to come be prayed for. And those of you that are part of the prayer team, be on alert. Come up front and pray for people. Maybe that's one of the ways that today the Holy Spirit begins to work on your pride. And you drop your pride and say, I just need somebody to pray for me. And you come on over here to where people are being prayed for and you be prayed for. Maybe you need to turn to your spouse. This is wife or husband. You turn to your spouse, whether it's in here or later today, and you look them in the eyes and you say, I'm sorry. I haven't been helping you win. I've been selfish and I've been living for my own. I, I need, I want to help you win. And you bring some type of, some type of community, some type of, of reconciliation there. And for some of you guys, you're chasing the wrong things. Ch- change the chase. Chase, chase your wife. Okay? God has such something so much better for those of us that are married. Something so much better for those of us who say we align our lives to Jesus. Let Jesus begin to do the work in you. You draw close to Jesus, and here's what happens. You begin to draw close to one another. That's good news. Let's pray together. 
Jesus, my prayer is that we wouldn't be the same people as we leave here today. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, we'd be different. Would you take my broken and very fallible words mixed with your spirit? And would you begin to change our lives? Some of us in here, we are chasing the wrong things and we need your help. Pray for the single people in here that they'd get a vision to not settle for second best, to get a real vision for what it looks like to be one with someone. You know the pain, you know the joys. I pray that you would begin to do the work and only you can do. As we draw close to you, we want to be different. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.